0: I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly. Crisis in the Middle East. The Gaza Strip is once again under siege as the week-long ceasefire comes to an end. We have the latest.
1: The whole number of the House is now 434.
0: Out of the House, Congressman George Santos is officially expelled in a historic vote on Capitol Hill. We have a report and reaction historic legacy. We celebrate the life and accomplishments of Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. And run with the Saints. Discover a newly launched platform connecting Catholics around the Washington, D.C. area. These stories and more tonight.
2: From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly.
0: Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight, the resumption of war. Israeli bombs are falling again over Gaza while Hamas is sending rocket fire over the border. The fragile truce collapsed early today after mediators said the sides could not find equal ground. The head of the Red Cross says the renewed fighting means the nightmare is back for civilians. Secretary of State Antony Blinken blames Hamas for the end of the ceasefire. Israel's war with the terror group resumed in full force today. Uh, the secretary was questioned about it before boarding a plane to leave for Dubai, where global talks are taking place on the climate. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen,
2: Tracy, good evening to you tonight. Israel and Hamas blame each other for ending the ceasefire, and negotiators right now in Qatar are working to restore it. While Secretary Blinken points his finger at the terror organization. Good evening, everyone. Secretary of State Antony Blinken tells reporters it's important to understand why the pause in fighting came to an end. It came to an end because of Hamas. Hamas reneged on commitments
1: it made. In fact, even before the pause came to an end, it committed an atrocious terrorist attack in Jerusalem. Killing three people, wounding others, including Americans.
2: That attack happening at a bus stop. In addition to that, Secretary Blinken said Hamas...
1: Began firing rockets before the pause had ended, and as I said, it reneged on the commitments it made in terms of releasing certain
2: hostages. Secretary Blinken also emphasized the U.S. remains intensely focused on getting the hostages back, preventing the conflict from spreading or escalating, as well as protecting civilians and making sure humanitarian assistance gets to those who need it. On Thursday, President Joe Biden tweeted, the United States is committed to addressing the critical humanitarian needs of Palestinian people in Gaza, and we will continue to work to sustain and expand the international response and rally the world to urgently increase support meanwhile vice president kamala harris left today for dubai her office says she'll meet with leaders in the middle east to discuss gaza and its fate after the war <laughs> president biden's top diplomat also thinking about what comes next
1: what happens in gaza itself how is it uh, how's it governed uh where where does the security come from how do we begin to rebuild and critically um how we get on a path to a just and lasting peace and for us of course that has to result in a state for the Palestinians.
2: Also, tonight, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby repeated the U.S. position that Gaza must remain Palestinian land and cannot be reduced in size by Israel. As for President Biden, he had no on camera events on his public schedule today. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly.
0: want to bring in now Gershon Baskin. He is the Middle East director of the International Communities Organization, a human rights advocacy group for nearly two decades. He was extensively involved with hostage negotiations between Hamas and Israel. Gershon, good to have you back on the show. Uh, The truce has expired and Israeli airstrikes on Gaza have resumed. What does this mean for the remaining hostages?
3: It's not a happy picture for them. I certainly um think that they're in a difficult situation it's been torturous watching every night as we've seen hostages being released um, by the drops by hamas uh, making it at the last hour possible in order to keep the truce in place and last night when they were supposed to submit another list of names they simply didn't or they tried to include within a list of names of live hostages the bodies of hostages that they claim have been killed Not only has the bombardment of Gaza begun again, but uh, rocket fire by Hamas into Israel has resumed, as well as rocket fire from the north, from Lebanon, into Israel has resumed.
0: Uh, Gershon, uh, uh, the New York Times, you may know this, uh, has a report uh, that Israeli officials had a blueprint for the October 7th attacks uh, about a year ago, but officials dismissed it. What more do you know about this and what is your reaction to it?
3: Um, It's very possible that this report could have been submitted to the intelligence community. It could have been looked at and evaluated. Israel's general attitude toward Hamas is one of arrogance. They've underestimated Hamas always. And certainly on October 7th, Hamas surprised Israel dramatically and and proved how— Weak Israel's defenses were on the Gaza border, but that's less of a result of an intelligence failure, uh, in my understanding, and much more of a much wider political failure.
0: Gershon, another thing I want to touch on is this negotiation uh, with the terror group Hamas in order to get the hostages back. Of course, Israel has vowed to destroy Hamas. So that being said, how does Israel bridge the gap on this?
3: It's a gap which is almost unbridgeable. I think Israel will try, with the help of the United States and Qatar and Egypt, to get the remaining civilian hostages out, including the 17 women and children and whatever elderly men and younger elderly men and men who are not soldiers— through a negotiated agreement. So I think we're going to see Israel relying much more on intelligence gathering and search and rescue operations to bring the remaining hostages out, and hopefully they will succeed, at least with some of them.
0: And some of the hostages um, that have been released, they've talked about their time in captivity. Uh, Some of them talking, especially children, the stories of them being beaten and not knowing where their families were or if they were alive or dead and being threatened with a gun uh, just to keep quiet. when they return, Gershon, I mean, what happens to these children? What kind of help is given to them and the other hostages to kind of um, get back to life as normal if they can?
3: I think they will be traumatized for the rest of their lives. But I think that Israel is very good in knowing how to provide them with every assistance that's possible. They're certainly being embraced by the entire country who's behind them and supporting them. And it will take a long time. They will need a lot of psychological care and a lot of um, listening to them and and, uh, getting them to be able to tell their stories and be understood, certainly for the young children, it, it must be devastating.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. Um, the extended troops did allow dozens of hostages to be released, uh, primarily women and children. What's the end game here for Hamas? What do you think?
3: I think that they believe that this is just another round of warfare, more severe than it's been since 2008. But my assessment is that the leaders of Hamas and Gaza believe that the international pressure will be placed on Israel to end the war, with them still in control of Gaza, and they will emerge from the tunnels and declare victory. That is a very unlikely scenario. I've never seen the resolve in Israel of what it is today to make sure that Hamas never is able to rule Gaza again and to threaten Israel. But I think that there is total resolve in Israel to um, not end this war with Hamas in place in Gaza.
0: Gershon, good to be with you again, and thank you so much for your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. some sad news to pass along tonight. The Supreme Court's first female justice, Sandra Day O'Connor, has died at the age of 93. The high court released a statement saying that she died in Phoenix due to complications with dementia and a respiratory illness. Chief Justice John Roberts described O'Connor as a fiercely independent defender of the rule of law. O'Connor retired in 2006 due to her husband's declining health. He died in 2009. She leaves behind three sons. Well, for our Catholic perspective on the life and legacy of former Justice Sandra Day O'Connor and some of her decisions regarding abortion, visit our partners at the National Catholic Register. All for the first time in more than 20 years, the U.S. House has expelled a member. New York Congressman George Santos saw nearly half of his GOP colleagues vote to oust him. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with the latest. Eric.
1: Well, good evening, Tracy. You know, even before the vote was over, Congressman George Santos had his coat on and he was shaking hands with colleagues. A short time later, he left the chamber and the Capitol using the outside front steps and jumped into an awaiting car. The now ex embattled congressman had to make his way through a scrum of reporters to get out. He didn't say anything when he was leaving. The vote to expel him was 311 to 114, with two members of Congress voting present, well more than the two-thirds needed to expel him. EWTN News Nightly was there when Cruz took down Congressman Santos's nameplate outside of his office. The architect of the Capitol, Cruz, said that it will be given back to the congressman. Some Republicans say the expulsion sets a bad precedent for the U.S. House
3: every american is afforded their day in court in a court of law by a jury of their peers that is the basis of our nation our nation is not the greatest because of the whim of men The Constitution and our government is to remove the whim of men and be followed by
1: law. What would you tell your Republican colleagues who say that this sets a dangerous precedent?
2: Well, I was the one who argued that it set a dangerous precedent when they tried to uh, expel him uh, a month ago because there was neither a criminal conviction nor any conclusion of Congress's own ethics process. Now we have a conclusion in the ethics process.
1: Well, today's expulsion vote follows an ethics committee report saying that there was substantial evidence that the freshman lawmaker during his 2022 campaign broke federal law by using campaign funds for personal use. House Republicans now have a margin of only three seats and a Democrat would be favored to win in a special election. By the way, uh, the New York state law requires that the governor to announce the date of the special election that's going to take place in 10 days and meanwhile, Santos still has to deal with a 23 count indictment in next year. Tracy.
0: Eric, I want to switch gears here. Is Congress moving any closer to resolving foreign aid for Ukraine and for Israel?
1: Well, that's a real battle right now. One senator did tell me that when they take one step forward, they end up taking two steps back. Now, we have to remember that Congress only has two weeks before recessing for the holiday recess. And House Republicans are already demanding border security aid be added to any foreign aid package. And many Democrats tell me that that's a non-starter. Some lawmakers only want money for Israel and not for Ukraine. So, bottom line, both sides are very deeply divided. House Speaker Mike Johnson. Johnson did meet with the entire Senate GOP caucus this week, hoping to work out a deal between Republicans both in the House and the Senate. But nothing has emerged from that meeting just yet. I'll continue to follow that story. Tracy.
0: All right. Thank you, Eric. And coming up, we have more on this historic vote in the House. Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics gives us his take on Representative Santos and the Newsom DeSantis debate. And a hard no why the Arkansas attorney general rejected an attempt to put abortion on the ballot. just heard it has been a dizzying 24 hours in the world of politics for analysis of it all we turn to Tom Bevan co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics Tom great to have you back on first off are you surprised at all by Santos's expulsion and the bipartisan agreement on the issue
4: I think most people were surprised that that so many republicans voted to oust no surprise that, that all the democrats did except for two um, but the Republican caucus was pretty evenly split. You had 105 vote uh, to to expel him. You had uh, I think 112 vote to to try and keep him in his seat. So that really showed I mean there were there were real uh, divisions and over whether he deserved to be expelled. He hadn't been convicted of a crime. Uh, only five House members had been expelled before that. Three of them were in the Civil War era. Uh, one of them in the 1980s was convicted of bribery. Jim Traficant uh, was convicted of tax uh, fraud and racketeering. so, uh, in that sense, Santos had a, had a decent argument that he shouldn't be expelled and that this was uh, this was going sort of another step in his mind and his supporters minds a step too far. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, this this House ethics committee saying that he there was substantial evidence that he had committed uh, these these fraudulent acts, I think, was the tipping point. And, and you saw Republicans, uh, you know, vote to kick him out.
0: Yeah, Tom. What does this mean, though, for the Republican caucus in the House, and their already slim majority?
4: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, <laughs> it's already very slim. So having one less person makes it a little bit more difficult, but not much. I mean, this is a uh, New York's third congressional district, which he represented, is on Long Island. Uh, this district is a district that Joe Biden won by ten points in twenty twenty. Santos won it by eight, um, and it was represented formerly by Tom Suozzi, and and he's already said that he's going to run again. For this seat in 2024. Um, as your reporter mentioned, Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, has 10 days to set a date. That date is supposed to be between uh, no no less than 70 days, no more than 80 days from when she makes her proclamation. So uh, as early as, let's say, March or April, um, Democrats could have a new member in, in their caucus in the House of Representatives. Um, does it Fundamentally changed the dynamic? No, it was already hard. uh, But it might be just a little bit harder on on some of these votes that where you're, you know, arm twisting to get get a a single extra vote. I mean, certainly Mike Johnson's job as speaker is already hard enough.
0: Yeah, I want to switch gears now. I want to talk about that debate last night between DeSantis and Newsom on Fox. A lot of jabs and insults were exchanged between the two governors. That said, what was the real purpose of this debate? You know, one is running to be the GOP candidate and the other isn't running at all, presumably.
4: Yeah, presumably. I mean, he said last night, Kevin Newsom, that he was not running a shadow campaign, that he's not in for 2024. And that may be true. I mean, we'll find out. Uh, but he certainly is running in 2028, 20, uh, regardless of what happens. And so, look, I, I, for Ron DeSantis, whose campaign has been struggling. Uh, this was a chance for him to sort of showcase his state, his leadership in his state. Uh, his approval ratings when he was in Florida was always very high. And so he was able to sort of make the case in a high-profile way uh, against a Democrat, against blue state policies. Um, and, you know, so I think for, for DeSantis's folks, their calculus was, look, they, they really at this point have nothing to lose. They've got, you know, a very limited time to turn things around and for them to put their candidate on display. And I think from the reaction that I saw among folks on, on the right, uh, they feel like he acquitted himself pretty well and was in command of the facts and um, did did a, a good job against a candidate uh, on the other side, uh, a debater on the other side, and Gavin Newsom, who is, you know, he's he's slick. He's telegenic. He's charismatic. He's eloquent. Um, I think a lot of people expected him to run away with it. And that, that certainly wasn't the case. As you mentioned, there was a lot of bickering, a lot of insults. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the DeSantis folks just said, listen, we, we have to do something to change the dynamic. And if we can get more Republican voters to tune in and see our guy in a favorable light, that can only help us moving forward.
0: Yeah, one thing they do have in common is both of them are Catholic, although very, very different views uh, when it comes to abortion, as we saw in that debate. Speaking of debates, the next Republican presidential debate is scheduled for next week, December 6th. Tom, what do you think we can expect from that?
4: Well, I'm actually going to be there, and uh, I want to see this up close. I mean, we're getting down to it now. We're going to have, I think, three candidates. I'm not sure Chris Christie is going to qualify, so you're effectively— uh, down to DeSantis, Haley, and Ramaswamy. And and so uh, there's going to be a lot of time. You know, Megyn Kelly is one of the debate moderators, and, and she's a very popular figure. Um, so I think it's going to be an interesting debate. It It, it is a question of, um, can anybody at this late stage say anything that's going to change any minds? Uh, obviously, Haley's been rising, so I'm going to look to see whether she can continue her rise. And I would expect that she takes the full force uh, from both sides, she and Ramaswamy already don't like each other. They get into it on the debates stage all the time. But I expect DeSantis really to focus on her in a way that he hasn't in previous debates, because he simply can't accept uh, having her slide into second place in Iowa, in particular. Um, he has to really, uh, you know, get keep his keep whatever momentum he can find in the next few weeks uh, to get to a point where he's back in second place and a close second at that. I don't think a distant second place finish for either one of those candidates is going to derail Donald Trump, given where he stands in the rest of the states with his poll lead.
0: All right, Tom, thank you so much. We'll be tuning in to see what happens. Always appreciate your insights. Thanks, Tracy. Well, the attorney general of Arkansas has denied an attempt to put a pro-abortion amendment On the state's ballot next year, the measure would have allowed abortions through 18 weeks of pregnancy. The AG indicated that the proposed amendment did not have enough clarity in its language. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, a year after his death, the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI lives on. We'll show you how. Plus, we'll tell you all about a new platform for DC Catholics looking for an uplifting spiritual community. scholars from spain have won an annual award named for pope benedict the 16th it is the first ratzinger prize since the death of the pope emeritus nearly one year ago ewtn vatican bureau chief andreas tonhauser has more
5: the legacy of pope benedict the 16th is alive it will continue to bear important fruits for the church with these words, the Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Pietro Parolin, opened the awards ceremony for this year's edition of the Ratzinger Prize, the first one since the death of Pope Benedict XVI last December. The recipients are theologian Pablo Blanco Sarto and philosopher Francesc Torralba Roselló, both from Spain. Since 2011, the Vatican's Ratzinger Foundation has awarded this prize to distinguished scholars. When a pope, in a very delicate moment in which he was, decides to withdraw to pray, I think that is an example and an exemplification of how important prayer is in the Church. So he withdraws to pray to support the pope, who comes later, in this process of reform and purification of the Church, in which we are embarked at this moment. And I think that is a good example of what he said. Let's say, in theory or in his theology, no, the theology of holiness. Father Federico Lombardi, president of the Ratzinger Foundation and former spokesperson for Pope Benedict XVI, also addressed the honorees. He explained that Joseph Ratzinger never wanted to build his own system of thought or establish his own school. He taught us to seek the truth with the power of reason and the light of faith.
2: La fernum, Speaking
5: about Pope Benedict XVI's legacy, philosopher Francesco Rolbo-Russello told EWT News his thoughts on the concept of love, one of the main themes of Benedict's pontificate and theological work. Well,
4: Ratzinger defined Christianity as the religion of the words, but also the religion of agape, And therefore, both are key. We have to introduce rationality in our public life, because it is very marked by emotionalism, and sometimes by fanaticism and fundamentalism. But, on the other hand, the world
1: needs agape, and agape is donation. It is gratuitous love.
2: And
5: the morning before the award ceremony, Recipients of the prize and members of the Ratzinger Foundation gathered in prayer in the Vatican Grotos at the tombs of St. Peter and of Benedict XVI. After Mass, Pope Francis received the awardees in private. In Rome, Andres Tonehauser and Matteo Ciaffi, EWTN, News Nightly.
0: Finally, tonight, a newly launched platform is seeking to connect practicing Catholics with other Catholic people groups and events in the same area. Run with the Saints operates under the belief that a person's spiritual formation and well-being are better served by spending time around others with similar goals. Membership is free, and for now, it is only available in the D.C. area with hopes of expanding nationwide. We go now to Michael Ortner, president and founder of Run with the Saints, Michael. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. This is such a great idea. But why did you start Run with the Saints and tell us how it's different from other platforms?
6: Hi Tracy, thanks for having me on your program. Yeah, it's it's not the you know, it's not easy being a faithful Catholic, especially for young adults. So about 19% of Americans are Catholic, but really it's more like 5% are practicing Catholic. And we are social creatures, so we need opportunities for community and fellowship, really at every point in our lives. So uh, we we grow in our faith when we've got friends, acquaintances, even coworkers, eventually a spouse who can help us grow in our faith, um, and and deal with it and deal with the reality of being a very we're very countercultural as faithful Catholics. So the, the, the we started the website, and eventually it'll become an app uh, to be a platform for for connecting Catholics, helping Catholics find each other, find local groups, find local events uh, that they can attend to, to meet more Catholics, especially Catholics that share their interests. And uh, as you mentioned, we we launched in the D.C. area with hopes of growing, going nationwide uh, over the course of next year.
0: I love it. It's so great. Tell us how it works and how people can find out about it.
6: So great. So yeah, uh, just like any other website, you go to runwithsaints.org and uh, you become a member. It's membership is free. It takes you a couple minutes to create a profile. We ask you for all sorts of information, such as what parish you belong to, what diocese you're in, uh, what interests you have, these sorts of things. And and then you're plugged into the network. And I, I think of it as sort of like a meetup meets LinkedIn for Catholics. So you can uh, once you're in the site, you can go and look at our event calendar that shows all all the upcoming events. Uh, these are Catholic events in your area. You can join groups based on your interests, and the whole point of it, it it's not a social network. It's not it's not meant to replace uh, any of the social social networks that are out there. We have enough of those. It's really meant to help people get offline and meet up with people that share their interests and share their faith at, at local events um, and w- which they can you know go onto the site and and find which events they want to go to and, and they can even enter their own events. So uh, we' we're, we're partnering with a lot of the largest Catholic event producers in the DC metro area. That includes everything from different parishes to the different to the, the, the three different dioceses that are in our area. And we're partnering with them to promote their events, but we also allow any member to promote their own events. So, if there's, you know, if you're into rock climbing or hiking or uh, doing book clubs or whatever it is, you can go out and create uh, create groups and create events based on those interests, and and try to find more Catholics in your area uh, to share these with.
0: Yeah, it is such a great idea. Almost out of time, but quickly again, tell us where we can find you
6: runwithsaints.org.
0: All right. Love it. And everyone needs to check it out. Michael, thank you so much. We appreciate it. God bless.
6: Thanks, Tracy. God bless you. Take care.
0: And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.